I was talking to the CEO of a big construction company recently, and he realized that his teams were too big. And if he cut teams from 10 people to seven people, he could get as much as more done and his margins would increase by 30%. And he went out of that meeting and said, I'm going to revolutionize the construction industry. So watch out, people. He is coming after you. <laughs> Jeff, i got to tell JJ that you knocked it out the park. Welcome to the EBFC Show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by Construction Accelerator. The design and construction industries come up with and build great things, but we also build and waste in how we do those things, in our interactions, in our contracts, in our logistics. So what does this do for our bottom line or our next project? The best firms maximize their value by removing that waste and only doing what's essential to the work, what makes them money. Construction Accelerator will train you to see the waste and give your teams the lean tools and experience to remove it immediately. All online, Construction Accelerator is made up of three to nine minute videos that can be watched again and again in the field, at the office, and at home, all broken down by topic. Need to learn pool planning? We have videos on the process, how to set up a room, and how to kick off a team. Need to set up a target value delivery project? We discuss all the aspects of TBD, especially cost. Or maybe you just need to brush up on 5S. Well, we have videos on that as well. You can download and print reference materials to use on site to immediately translate watching into doing. Subscribe today at tricanow.com. Let's build an industry, not just a project. Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry and transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now, to the show. You've been at a conference for a day, keynoting. How's your morning been going so far? Well, I spent the morning in China, Indonesia, Turkey, Singapore, like, Taiwan, and then I spent so the late morning in Portugal. So you've been like all over the world today, Jeff. Did you cross the midnight time zones a couple of times in those different countries? Right, right. Yeah. I've done this a couple of times with this platform. The last uh, handful of shows, JJ's show was done in this platform, but he blurred his background. So you don't even realize like how freaking good he looks in high definition. I mean, Jeff, you know, you raised a good looking boy. <laughs> <laughs> There you go. We got the laughs here. I got my laugh tracker here. Jeff, I want to just hit this bell to just give you some audible gratitude for just all the the stuff you're just giving away for free. So thank those bells are for you, my friend. Appreciate you. And you too, D. D just did a great uh, panel discussion with me, Boston University Agile Conference, not even an hour ago. You know, I just want to recall a story about when Jeff and I were co-training a scrum at scale class together. He, and this is back when you could travel. And Jeff was always, Jeff always has at least two Macs sitting at his desk. One is running the, the slideshow for the class. At that point in time, Jeff had a dog named Zephyr. And Zephyr was battling with some, with some health issues. And so Jeff was in real time getting, um, getting biometrics on, on Zephyr. 
and regulating in real time the medications he was giving Zephyr and simultaneously jumping in wherever he was supposed to and even when he needed to on the training. He's just, the man has mad skills, mad, mad skills in so many different directions. And that's me giving him a shout out on, you know. I was at MIT once and I had my computer up and I had 10 medical devices that I was running simultaneously on the computer. And this MIT guy said, you know, you, you do much programming anymore? I said, no, nah, I, don't, I don't really do any programming. So you got 10 devices on there and they're all running programs. Did you like this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they were convinced I was still basically a programmer. Hey, the old habits are hard to give up, Jeff. You know that. <laughs> it's a good assumption. We're all on Macs here. This is a, a Mac trio right here, the three of us. We should get Apple to sponsor this podcast someday in the future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This is awesome. Thank you so much, Jeff and Dee. I want to start with gratitude after I give you guys a chance to introduce yourselves. The audience that listens to the show are design and construction professionals from around the world in over 30 countries. And I just want to give a shout out to everybody who listens to the show and watches on YouTube. Thank you so much for tuning in every other week. The response has been amazing. And I absolutely do this for each and every one of you thanks to people like jeff and d is there anybody that the two of you would like to give some gratitude for shout out to anybody you want well i just got off the line with uh, people from china taiwan indonesia singapore malaysia and turkey and these were all the agile communities from these different countries and they all did videos of what they're doing and then we had question and answers and so I'd like to thank all the people around the world that are making it happen with respect to Scrum. Yeah. My shout out is to Jeff for giving us this amazing framework to do this amazing work all around the world. Uh, and my, my next shout out, Felipe, is to you. Shout out to you for inviting us on and for continuing to help me through the journey of Scrum and design and construction. I really appreciate the time we spent together in Sacramento last week. Huge thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Right back at you, Dee and Jeff. Thank you guys both so much. And when I started this podcast, Jeff, in July of last year, I knew that I had to use Scrum to make it happen. And the trajectory has been exponential with the growth and the listeners around the world, just like yourself. You know, I've had calls from people in Turkey as well. They have a very strong agile group there. And I was, I had no idea until, you know, we started doing this type of stuff. So thank you for inspiring me, Jeff. And thank you to the whole EBFC show team that makes this happen. I haven't said thank you enough on air and I'm giving you guys the, the shout. Thank you so much for making the show amazing. So with that, I, I can't do right. If we don't thank uh, a product owner to help to make this happen. Thank you, Noah, for uh, get, getting on Jeff's calendar and letting this uh, happen. I appreciate you so much. Noah and I share some spirit animals <laughs> together. So no, I wanted to open up with that gratitude moment and uh, give you guys a chance to introduce yourselves. You can go in any order you want to let people know who you are. And uh, if they don't know who you are, which would be incredible, but surprisingly, everyone on planet Earth, Jeff, doesn't know everyone yet. There's 7 billion of us out there. Tell the people a little bit about yourselves, please. Okay, well, I started off actually in the military as a fighter pilot in the Air Force. And all the operational aspects of Scrum come from that experience. Uh, my last tour was a, as a professor of mathematics at the Air Force Academy. And towards the end of my tour, I was recruited for, at the 
University of Colorado Medical Center to become a medical school professor for over a decade. And they wanted me to take over a big grant that I, I used about $30 million to do massive supercomputing modeling the human cell. And out of that research came really the theoretical aspects of Scrum. How do you get systems to evolve quickly? And what are the interventions that you need to make? From there, I was actually recruited out of the medical school to industry into a big banking company running 150 banks, basically as their CTO for 150 banks. And as soon as I came into that operation, uh, I was working mainly on their advanced technology, but I was watching their projects and they were always late, like many of the construction projects out there, right? And I said, this is unbelievable. The way, the way they're managing the projects with these Gantt charts is guaranteed to make every project late. And I, I ran the numbers, being a professor of mathematics, I ran the numbers and the analysis and I showed it to the CEO. And I said, not only are all your projects late, they're getting later because every time one's late, they have more meetings and more reports. It just makes it worse. And he asked me, well, what should I do? And I said, well, you need a completely different operating system. I said, we can't change the bank, whole bank all at once, but we should take one of the business units. Let's take the business unit that's losing the most money and let's in introduce a new operating system with small teams, with short iterations, with a product backlog someone coming in every morning and prioritizing by business value. And every Friday, we're going to deploy to 150 banks. And I'll teach them how to land a project every week, just like I taught fighter pilots how to land aircraft. And sure enough, within six months, that business unit was the most profitable business unit in the bank. So that's that's my background. And now I'm taking it to the construction industry, <laughs> right? We are. Well, I remember in 2016, you told me I was the first person to to be coming through with with Scrum. And I said, Jeff, I won't be the last one. I promise you that. We need to do things differently as well, which is perfect uh, segue to Dee. Dee, please tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. I'm a principal consultant over at uh, Scrum Inc. And I got here via the traditional project management route. Um, uh, I've been in a number of different industries and finance was one of them as well as, as Jeff. And I've worked with Wells Fargo, Prudential, U.S. Bank, um, and finally, in 2008, I said that we've got to stop this madness. I'm I'm not having any fun. I'm going to work every day just counting down the hours when I get to leave, knowing that I haven't made any kind of an impact on anybody. But I've updated my Gantt chart, and <laughs> everything is wonderful, right? Um, so so I I heard about this thing called Agile, and uh, I got intrigued, and I started bringing that into Wells Fargo, actually, and into their, believe it or not, crop insurance division. Yes, there is such a thing as crop insurance. So. Um, and from there, uh, that team in implementing the team level scrum prompted me to take a look at why can't we change entire organizations? And that's when I was very lucky in um, starting to read some of what Jeff was, was describing as scaling scrum, which is actually something Jeff had been doing all along. This isn't Scrum at scale isn't something new, Jeff. It started this right from the get-go. Um, and then started really um, focusing on transforming entire operations, entire companies into agile. And along the way, um, I was starting to hear in the back of my head, my dad talking to me, Felipe, um, rest his soul. Um, my family owns a highway heavy construction company. 
And my dad was even back then, um, 20, 30 years ago, always looking for ways to improve his industry, to improve his company. And I started to feel as I started to see Scrum in action that, hey, we could have been using Scrum back then to accomplish some of the goals my dad was trying to accomplish in, in the highway heavy industry. And so from that point on, I've been uh, looking at ways to do that. And, and the opportunity arose in the introduction to you, Felipe. And, and ever since then, I've been, as you know, and I'm not, not lockstep with you, learning everything I can about Scrum and construction. And uh, you know, we put together a Scrum and construction for Scrum Masters class last year. And we're going to do it again this year. And I'm really pleased that we're going to continue to advance this advanced scrum in this industry. So thank you, Felipe, for helping us with that. Yeah, you're welcome. I told Jeff the last time we were training, D, you might remember, I said, Jeff, uh, you've done so much for me and for so many other people. I'll live my entire life and not have touched a percentage of what you've given us all as a gift. And I mean that with sincerity. And, you, and you're just the right type of mentor I needed, Jeff. I want to just hold for everybody and just show this is just some of the books that Jeff has recommended that I read. So I'm holding 30 pounds of books. I barely can hold it up. <laughs> and I'll tell people what the what the titles of some of these books are. Just uh, and I have to tell people all the time, Jeff, like I don't get any money from you or from Scrum Inc. for for pumping the red book, the art of doing twice the work in half the time. And I tell people just like you do all the time. If you want help and where to start, start with reading why Scrum. You did a great job here. I'm not gonna ask you why you created Scrum because it's it's already captured here. It's in the Red Book. Like people, check it out. Get the Audible. JJ, Jeff's son, CEO of Scrum Inc. Reads that book. It's fantastic. That's where you should start. That's where I started. Or start with the Scrum Guide. It's free right now and it's all the 12 pages long. One of the first things I wanted to ask you, Jeff, before I bring in some of these other books that you've recommended highly encouraged me to read. And I did, they've been transformational by the way. So keep learning everybody. If you're out there, look, even Jeff still reads HBR articles and brings new information to us all the time. Uh, the scrum values, Jeff, you did a video that's on YouTube at scrum Inc's channel where you talk about the five scrum values, respect, courage, commitment, openness, and focus. And you tell the story about an oil executive, you know, for people that haven't uh, found Scrum Inc's channel, can you tell, what do you remember about that oil executive talking about their work before they had the values of Scrum? Well, the oil company I really remember, I'm not sure it's the same one, um, was operating in, in Colombia and they implemented Scrum at scale. And the average time to drill was, uh, this was mainly a gas community, so these were gas wells. Average time to drill was over a month. The fastest they'd ever drilled a well in history was 10 days. After implementing Scrum at scale, the average drill time was six days. The reason is that the, for some reason, the oil industry, Scrum works really well because the, the senior executives really get involved. They, they often become the chief product owner of the operation uh, and they make sure that Scrum is implemented properly. But basically, that that rack that you know twice a work and a half the time means that your drilling is in one fourth the time, right? And the main reason for that, there were many, but one of the main reasons was the executive team started meeting every day as a scrum team, daily scrum meeting. And so now they have these problems, you know, they're some vendors driving through the jungle and it's, it's caught in the swamp someplace. 
it used to take three <laughs> weeks to get them out of the swamp. <laughs> now they do it in three days, right? Because the executives are right on top of it. And so they say, you know, that's the major driver. And this kind of thing is true in all construction, right? Why does construction projects get the way? Something happens, it's unexpected, and it takes two or three weeks to get the right people in the right place to fix it. If you've got executive leadership meeting every day of the scrum team, it, it, it can get fixed within a few hours or at a minimum within a few days instead of weeks. Um, and that's really, it can really drive success in construction. No, that's transformational, Jeff. And and one of the values too that you you hit on when you talked about all five values, you told a story about an oil executive and that said that his job was soul crushing. Ah, okay. <laughs> yeah, this is British Petroleum. Uh, a woman, I don't want to say her name because I might get in trouble, but um, she told me she kept caught me in the hallway at their headquarters and said, Jeff, you know. I was known as the ice lady. I had thousands of people working for me. I was mean. They worked late. They worked weekends. I had no mercy. I had no mercy on them. But the problem was it was soul crushing. Now that I've invented Scrum, people are working normally hours. They're getting a lot more done and they're actually having a life. They can see their families and children. And my, my spirit has been free. That's amazing, Jeff. Yeah. The, uh, I was studying another book. Uh, Katie Anderson wrote a book called learning to lead leading turn with ECL Yoshino who worked at uh, Japan. He was the one that hired John shook the first American. And we use this phrase all the time. Like, like, you know, in lean, we have to have respect for people. And one of the things that ECO said, or we call him Yoshino son, told us that respect for people as it's translated and talked about at Toyota means holding precious what it means to be human. You can't be, you know, that command and control with people if you embody that value. That the values that you talk about often, and the same is true for people that talk about the agile values, sometimes the people that are new to these methodologies and frameworks, lean or, or others, they don't understand the invisible things like the five scrum values or the three pillars. Is there anything that you want to say, Jeff, to, to people listening about the values in particular, that especially if they don't even know what scrum is? And of course, we'll put links in the show notes so people can go get an overview of what is scrum. What would you like people to know? Yeah, the five values come, but Ken wrote uh, a book on project management scrum. And, and one of the things he did, he wanted to write down how is it that it actually works as well as it does. And at the time I was CTO of a company called Patient Keeper Healthcare Company, and he was a consultant there. And so he looked at the environment there and he said, you know, the first thing that's really different is that it's an open environment. Everybody can speak their piece. Everybody is listened to. And, uh, this openness and transparency allows you to see what what is going on, what the problem is, what to do next. And in order to have that openness, you have to have respect for people. That's fundamental to getting the data on the table to make decisions in the right way. And also the people need to have courage 
to both speak up and really then to try something new uh, and take some risk. So openness, respect, and courage are the way to get decisions on the table that allow groups to focus. And once people can focus on real data and have real agreement, out of that comes commitment, which is the fifth value. And it, it's commitment that drives success. And uh, there's a famous poem by a mountain, mountain climber on commitment. He says, as soon as you commit, there are forces that come into play that start to help you and leverage you and you achieve things that would never be possible without that first step of commitment that really draw forth not only your energies, but the energies of other people uh, to get to the top of that mountain. So uh, commitment has been elevated again in the Scrum Guide, in the new release of the Scrum Guide, where it's central to uh, teams committing to the product, product goals of, of the product owner and committing to the sprint goal and committing to get things done, meet the definition of done that's agreed to. Uh, and so these values stack up one on the other, one on top of the other that, that makes it really happen. So without them, uh, if you have an environment where people are criticized all the time, they won't speak up. So then nobody really knows what's wrong. Nobody really knows how to fix it. And you wind up with endless problems and you feel like nothing is ever going to get fixed, right? <laughs> so it all starts with openness, transparency, and you don't get that without respect for people. Right on, Jeff. And D, you saw last week we were on a site uh, in Lean Construction, Jeff, we have a parallel that we call Project First Thinking, where people on the project commit to achieving the goal of the project itself. Like the project for the for the end user, for the client, is going to do something transformational for people. And D got to visit with us on, a, on an eye center project where they're going to be helping to restore people's sight and maintain eye health for people in need in Sacramento, California. What uh, of the, the values, D, would you like people to know or think about? Um, well, to your point there, Felipe, it's that bigger why. It's that vision of why all those folks are, are on that job site, what they're doing and what the impact of their being there and what their building will have on their community. And you mentioned it earlier as well. And because we've we've all been on uh, conferences. We are been in a conference earlier today too, where we talked about this and scrum and construction because the interest is so high uh, right now. And it's, it's just that they, everywhere I went on that job site, Felipe, every, when I went into the construction trailer, when I was out on the site, the vision was visualized in what this eye care center was going to look like. And the conversations that were occurring in the, in the trailer around committing to the work that was going to get, was going to be done that day and moving forward was all around, not just the building, but what the building was going to do for the community and how it was going to help those that were um, going to use that eye care center for eye health and for vision. So, but for, as, as far as the values, I just, I've get, I've been asked this question numerous times. What is your favorite value? And it's, 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 it's very difficult to answer that question because in my, in my very consultant's answer is it depends in what, in what respect. So are you asking the question for me though, respect. If we can show all human beings respect, if we can treat each other as human beings, so we can go so much farther together 
than we ever could as individuals, whether that be in uh, building an eye care center, uh, building a database or writing code. If we can just respect one another, so much more can happen. Yeah, that was what uh, what lured me into, D. Uh, Jeff, in your Red Book, when you talked about the poor developers and how you stood up and you told them that they'd been abused and acknowledging the abuse that they'd suffered in the corporate working environment, I had the same type of stories in the design and construction industry. I've had hundreds of people, Jeff, come to this shoulder and put tears down, you know, in hugs, sharing stories of some of the things that they've had to go through and the challenges of going through the work. And, you know, this type of systemic approach to work, it makes it so that we can work together regardless of your background. The things that people have been able to achieve using Scrum has been a game changer across the planet. Like COVID for a lot of companies, Jeff, and this is where I want to go with next. You did a, a cool talk that I got to go to where you had Dom invited you to talk about failure. And we were talking about the challenges of COVID and you had some great stories about companies that could not adapt and what was happening. Jeff, could you talk about the worldwide corporate or company failures and challenges that you're seeing with the pandemic and going into the future? Well, the pandemic to me has been a great divide between the agile and the non-agile. In, in the United States last year, just in the first half of the year, there were 3,600 bankruptcies. And many of them were big, well-known companies. And so in the COVID environment, uh, non-agile companies go out of business. And we have, the, we have had the biggest destruction of business in the history of the United States in 2020 uh, because of what's happened. And, but if you look at the companies that we tend to work with, and particularly the companies I, I, I invest in, they have had the best year of business in the history of the company. Their stock prices are like a rocket ship. And it's not just Amazon, Apple, and Microsoft. It's uh, uh, many smaller companies. Uh, 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 Tesla has gone out of sight. Um, and uh, it's, it's been so dramatic that I've actually had to form a separate investment company. I'm, I'm spending almost half my time now running an investment company uh, that invests only in agile companies because they are so incredibly successful in COVID uh, that it gives them such a competitive advantage, they just grab all the market share because the non-agile companies just have no way to compete. Uh, the other thing about Scrum that's surprising is that it can work just as well in a distributed environment uh, as we are now, we're all on some you know video conferencing system, right? And Scrum works just as well there as if you're sitting in the same room. You have to have a little more focus, but it can work just as well. And so one of the senior vice presidents of uh, Biogen, one of the biggest biotech companies, you know, when we went into lockdown last March, he sent me an email. He said, Jeff, thank God we started implemented Scrum October 2019 because he said, as soon as we went into lockdown, within a week, we were back to normal operations remotely. And he said, many of our competitors, they will not come back to normal after until after COVID ends. 
And here we are almost a year later. It's not over yet. <laughs> uh, and he said, they are going to be flatlined. They're not going to be able to function. They're not going to be able to improve. Uh, they're going to lose market share. And we are accelerating. And even when they come out of COVID, it's going to take them a year or two to even catch up back to where they were when COVID started. So he said, thank God we have let us go. Same thing happened over at uh, that global manufacturing company that we are helping out. We were we had implemented Scrum before COVID hit. Their their stock actually increased last year by eighty percent during COVID, and they attribute that to having brought in Scrum. They were able to pivot. They were able to adapt. They were able to move in the directions they needed to move to because they had Scrum in play when COVID hit. Yeah, and this is one of the biggest hardware companies in the world for agriculture. I've had people even tell me, Jeff, that it seems like you've cloned yourself and there are five of you running around. What's your secret? And I was like, well, I read and you don't because it's very public that I do scrum every day. Like you and D, you know, you're running around and making it happen, right? And I'm just, yeah. I'm encouraging as much as possible, you know? No, we and we need your encouragement, Jeff, because I was telling D before, I said, uh, you know, working with you more last year, I realized that I wasn't doing enough. Like I had more to give. And that, so I had to give more. And I had a, a software company contact me, shout out to my friends at SkillSignal, and asked me to do some advisory, you know, board responsibilities for them. And I said, of course, I didn't have to think about it because I knew what was in my backlog and I knew what my capacity was. It was a no-brainer. I said I was looking for for somebody and I had committed to serving and giving my time on a board. And just like you said about commitment, Jeff, the phone call and the connection was almost that same day. When I made my mind up, it happened just like that. Yeah, but Felipe, let me ask you a question. If you hadn't already been using Scrum in your world and you would have gotten that phone call, how long would it have taken you to figure out whether or not you could take in that additional work? D, if I wasn't using Scrum, I would already have been dead. I would have had a, I would have died of a heart attack or a stroke because you have I used told to. Me that. Yeah, Jeff, you don't you don't know this, Jeff, but I used to drink two pots of coffee a day, and work over a hundred hours a week and work seven days a week, and I couldn't keep up. And then I learned lean, and it got a little better. But when I learned Scrum, I tripled my output, and then it tripled it multiple times over multiple times of the year. And I, and I told D the first time I started working in this role for my, this general contractor, McCarthy building companies, I, I started with just working with six project teams in your, in the first six months. And because I was using scrum and learning and, and having failures and adapting, we scaled that up to now and work with, you know, six to 12 project teams a month. Yeah. I could not have done it without scrum impossible. And I've looked at the other methods too, Jeff, because I'm always looking, you know, what else is there? I've had some friends that have said like lean is the solution to everything. And I said, no, the solution to everything is everything, but you got to find what works for you at the right time at, at the right moment. And for me right now, scrum is the cat's meow. I, I mean, you and I were talking about this just the other day, how finally, after like 20 years, the construction industry realizes that lean Lean is not a thought. It has to just be there. It has to be on within their within their world. Um, the, the goal now is to get them to understand that you can't do it with lean alone because to what we've been talking about, the people are important. 
And Scrum really helps to focus on the people aspect of it. Yes, Lean is very, very important, but where are the people in that equation? Scrum brings the people in. And I found that to be very impactful when you were, you were explaining to me the suicide rates in this industry. Yeah, Jeff, we have the highest suicide rates of all the professions in the United States since 2019. You're more likely to die by your own hand in construction than to die in a construction accident. It's incredible. Like worldwide, I, I just remember the worldwide stat, D, I think every 90 seconds across planet Earth, somebody takes their life. Yeah. And so seriously, and I say this often, and I don't say it lightly here, Scrum can literally change lives in the construction industry. If we can implement Scrum across more of this industry, we can save, literally save lives. Yeah. Here's what I can absolutely guarantee to your listeners. Implementing Scrum will cut that suicide rate by more than 50%. I guarantee it. I've got a case of champagne. Oh, I'll take that bet, Jeff. I've been working with a team of collaborators from across the United States uh, since last year. I had uh, a gentleman on my show used to be a writer for Jay Leno. If you remember Jay Leno, Jeff? Yeah. Yeah. He used to be a writer for him, uh, Frank King, and that's his life's work. Uh, working to help bring awareness and change and give people the opportunity. And, and he brought the stats because I was unaware. I don't know because apparently, D, we're not supposed to talk about our feelings in construction, even though you know that <laughs> not to be the, the case. Right, we're just spending right. a little bit of time on our job. That's, that's yeah, the there was, there, there, was, there was a lot of feeling going on there. There was a lot of emotions happening. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot of, so, Jeff, I'll take, that, uh, I'll take that bet. Let's make it happen. And I'll, yeah. I'm going to take that back uh, to my friends that are working on that initiative right now so that we can have an impact on that and give people a chance to contribute and be part of the us. Not us, the scrum people, but just us, the people on planet Earth. Well, get, yeah, getting the people talking about what their problems are, sharing with each other, helping one another, you know, yeah. watching each other's back. That's what that's what's going to keep people alive in the construction industry, right? I just said, I was just gonna say, I saw that happening firsthand out in Sacramento last week. I saw, um, I saw a, a senior superintendent, Jeff, somebody I would describe as like a scrum of scrums master, right? Really working hard to, to, to change the culture of that construction site by doing things like retrospectives and feedback loops with, with his teams and with his, with his, his, project engineers, which I would refer to in our world as the scrum masters, right? And and in creating a culture for them where they're now starting to feel empowered. We, Felipe, we've been talking about this. I, I can't stop talking about this because I'm so jazzed up about that senior superintendent and the changes he was trying to make to put the people first uh, and to create empowerment, to do retrospectives, to look at ways to continuously improve on that job site each and every day. That was fantastic. And that will lend itself well to individuals and to teams actually enjoying coming to the job site every day, knowing that they're just not another person playing around in the dirt, you know, keeping the wheel moving on a cog, right? And we were there, Jeff, the uh, the project manager, as a, a guy also named Jeff. Shout out to Jeff from Jeff. <laughs> and Jeff, I was telling Dee this morning at the at the BU Agile conference, I said, it's a testament to how powerful Scrum is the team's using Scrum in multiple different ways on that project. That the project manager in the thick of it can be on vacation for a week, and there were no dire emergencies. 
He didn't have to be calling into meetings. He could actually be with his family and take the time to have his life back and, and be stress-free. And everyone was, was happy and enthusiastic about it. And they were happy to have us there and show us all the cool stuff that they were doing. That's not typical. That's not typical. That's one of the differentiators. And I've got too many stories to share, but I don't, I want to tie this up with me talking about it. That's what webinars are for. <laughs> Do that separately. <laughs> I want to hear from you guys. So Jeff, you know, you know, on that note, I know that, uh, you've got your background in medicine. How have you used Scrum in, uh, with that, that guys and in industries? Can you share some stories about how you're helping, you know, transform life for people around the planet? You know, back in 1996, I was hired as CTO of uh, what was that time IDX Systems, now GE Healthcare. It was one of the four biggest healthcare companies. And I came in and fairly quickly uh, changed the whole architecture of the systems, the development. I got that all in place. Uh, within a year, it was all in motion. And that's why I was thinking, well, what do I do next? And then... Uh, people started calling me and asked me to do talks. And, and one talk was from the government committee on healthcare data. They said, we're holding a conference on healthcare data and we want you to come down and be one of the, uh, one of the presenters. We want to decide what to do with healthcare in the future in the United States. And so I pulled together, I had uh, five physicians that actually worked directly for me uh, in my group development group of many hundreds of people. So I pulled the physicians together. I said, you know, we're going to go down there and we're going to talk about what the problem is. And what the problem is, is that medical error is caught is, a, is the third leading cause of death. It's, you know, you know it, it's related to data and that you don't have the right data in the right place to make the right decisions. But it's, it's not about, it's not about systems. It's about stopping the medical error and that requires changing the way the processes the way we work and i i went down there we put together a presentation we went through it it was so horrifying i remember the head of the american nursing association she just was putting her hand over her face she couldn't even and at the end of the presentation the chairman says to his medical expert is is sutherland Correct. I, I had put, I had cited everything I said, I cited from a medical paper. So it was airtight. And the medical expert said, Sutherland is conservative. So out of that, the committee went to the National Institute of Medicine and started a major project on patient safety. And they've written uh, multiple books. And so now everyone in the medical community knows that this is a problem. Unfortunately, the systems have not changed. Even though now there's an awareness, uh, there's still almost as much medical error as there, as there was 10 years ago. So we actually have to start changing the way the operations run with Scrum. It's, awareness is not enough. And as an example of that, one of the things we did recently, we went into the biggest hospital in Boston. Uh, they wanted help in in uh, expediting their surgery. And in two weeks of scrumming, we cut the surgery turnaround time in half. Surgery went up 20%. Now the effect of that on hospital revenue 
this is a $7 billion hospital. 50% of revenue comes from surgery. 20% increase in surgery means 10% increase in revenue. 700 million free dollars every year to that hospital flowing to the bottom line for two weeks of scrumming. This is the power. And, uh, you know, I, I, we need to be careful with your listeners. It's not scrum that's the power. It's, it's uh, like that example you gave before. The, the, the senior manager could go away and actually be on vacation without worrying it because the teams were taking care of it. So the pieces of Scrum, one of them is training teams to be self-managing, right? Right. That's independent of Scrum. That's a fundamental way of working that if you teach people to self-manage, when you're away, everything's not blowing up, right? Because it's right. self-managing to fix it. <laughs> Autonomous people, it's a sometimes scares management, but it's exactly what you want because you can't be there all the time. Absolutely. And to get that autonomy, you need the openness and respect. <laughs> it's all tied together. Uh, but what the, the umbrella scrum is just an umbrella for these practices that are absolutely critical for workflow, for happiness, for results uh, to get done. And uh, it's so effective. I remember in 1995, I explained this. Uh, some venture capitalists brought me to lunch. I explained what I was doing. And they said to me, you're some kind of hippie flower child from San Francisco. This will never work. <laughs> <laughs> and then in 2006, 11 years later, they come to me. They say, you got to save us. Agile is putting us out of business. <laughs> We've got to get Agile now. <laughs> so, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about what really delivers. It's not just talk. It's, it's setting in place the principles and the ways of working, uh, autonomy, self-management that actually create teams that can actually deliver and deliver independently without constantly being micromanaged, right? <laughs> no, that hospital story, Jeff, is incredible because you know, healthcare, as we're getting older, you can't tell from my receding hairline, I'm getting older every single day. It's something that we need more and more. Uh, thanks to technology, uh, here in California, I was able to talk to my doctor through my, my phone, which is something that I could not have done before. And I had a little, uh, a little thing on my finger. You can't even see it because it's already healed. And she was able to give me some guidance for a little, a little cut on my finger that I didn't pay attention to because... I don't pay attention to things like that. <laughs> and it was, I was just thinking like, you know, when we growing up as kids, that was impossible. You had to, a doctor had to be with you to treat you. And now here we are in 2021 and it can be done using technology to enable, I can still get the care without having to, you know, go somewhere and without having to take her away from something. This is actually one of the hidden benefits of COVID. It's actually, uh, you know, the, the, the medical industry has had telemedicine for years, but there's been no insurance incentives or kind of against it. But now with COVID, we have to do it. And so now I, I only see my doc on Zoom. I mean, I, I have a doc that is in Denver and I'm in Boston. I work with one of the best docs in the world. So you can find the best doc on the planet and then have that person be treating you that's going to be a lot better for your longevity, right? <laughs> Telemedicine, it doesn't matter where that doctor is. Thank you, doctor, for keeping me alive.
<laughs> and I wanted to uh, to ask the both of you, uh, in the new Scrum Guide, 2020 Guide, love it, absolutely love it, the word lean makes a strong debut, which I was very happy to see. What uh, what do you want to say about that change? Well, in 2016, a senior vice president of one of the biggest Japanese companies flew to Boston, and he came there to communicate that he wanted to develop a joint venture for Scrum Inc.'s Agile training program. Uh, I said, why do you want to do that? There's already training in uh, Japan, and we got a lot of stuff going on. We don't want to send a lot of people to Japan. He said, look, I spent 10 years in Silicon Valley as a senior executive at Google. Uh, I'm now back in Japan. Uh, the, the training they're giving in Japan is not adequate. It's not the true Scrum. So I said, what do you mean by the true Scrum? He said, the true Scrum is the Scrum of the grandfathers, Professor Takeuchi and Nanaka. And, uh, and in their paper in 1986, when they coined the term Scrum Project Management, they were looking at lean hardware companies, the best lean teams around the world. And so Scrum needs to teach the best lean teams how to be even better teams. And he said, we are 20% owned by Toyota. We are going to be the trainers for Toyota. And so we need to go in there and train them how to do lean better using Scrum. And so <laughs> Scrum has to be not only lean, it has to be better than lean. And we need your team in there in Japan to put that together. And so we immediately learn several things. We need, we need the basic lean tools that we've always done in our, I've always done in my Scrum training, you know, value stream mapping, process efficiency, uh, the A3 process, root cause analysis. All these things are fundamental uh, to removing impediments. You know, scrummers are about removing impediments, but a lot of scrum masters can't remove them because they don't know lean, right? Right. <laughs> lean is about removing weights. That's what Toichio says in the book, right? And so it has right. the best tooling for removing impediments. And so every scrum master needs to start there. And then we need to add on. There, there are several other things we need to add on uh, to make it better. I mean, plus one to Jeff. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it, it, it's a no brainer that we would, that Jeff and Ken would put lean into the scrum guide just for this, for what the same reason that Jeff has just mentioned. So not really much to add other than to say, thanks for getting it in there. Cause it's a no brainer. I love to read books like guilty. Uh, and I like to read a lot of stuff by Deming. And one of the things that Deming made famous, you know, he had done some time at Bell Labs one of, or one of his mentors, uh, a guy named Schuhart worked at Bell Labs and helped to create the PDSA loop or the PDCA loop, plan, do, check, adjust, which one of the, one of your contemporaries earlier uh, made famous as the OODA loop that you put in the scrum book. Observe, orient, decide, act. And I want to give a shout out to, to Chet Richards, who wrote this book that you recommended to me, Jeff, called Certain to Win, that gives a a phenomenal background and how powerful it is to get into that uh, framework. What do you want to tell people about certain to win Jeff? Who's a good person that should read it? Cause it's not for everybody. The thing that, you know, Pro professor Nodaka is writing a book today, basically on the OODA loop because it's about the U S Marines. And what he's telling me is that the OODA loop is more important to Toyota today than the PDCA cycle. And 
The reason is that it's the OODA loop that allows for the innovation. And as we've introduced Scrum actually into Toyota, they responded that, wow, Scrum is not Kaizen, it's Kaikaku, it's revolution, because we're doing Kaizen, and then all of a sudden, hey, we should just change the whole organization and we'll just work a lot better, right? That's revolutionary and it's not normal at Toyota. And they are being eclipsed by Tesla now because they cannot respond fast enough and even last week, Japan, the Korean government announced that by 2035, you're not going to be able to sell any gasoline cars in Japan. And the CEO of Toyota went, he went nuts. Oh, this is, this is impossible. You destroy the whole Japanese industry. We can't have that. Okay. They're still, they've got their, their heads in the sand. They won't budge. They won't innovate. That's going to kill them. And so the OODA loop, observe what is happening. Reorient, change your whole business model. Come in in a different direction. And, uh, and, and, and act, make it happen. And then based on the thing that happens next, execute another OODA loop. That's what certain to win is. And if you keep doing that, if you can get inside the decision loop of the opposition, you win 100% of the time. That's why certain, certain to win is about winning 100% of the time by executing this observe, orient, act decision cycle. Uh, so this is, this is absolutely critical to Toyota and to any lean company that they raise the bar and lean and bring in the OODA loop and Scrum is the easiest way for them to do it. It's not me talking. It's Professor Nanaka, who is is a national treasure in Japan. Mm -hmm. uh, last November, there was an article in the major Japanese financial journal every day about Professor Nanaka's life because his history is a national treasure to, to the Japanese country. We're both okay. with one voice telling that to the Japanese and to Toyota and to any other lean company. This is critical for your future success. So to answer your question, Felipe, uh, who should read that book? Anybody who wants to get ahead of their competition. And absolutely to Jeff's point, I would say any scrum master who's worth their salt will understand how to remove impediments. And that book will help them understand how to remove those impediments. Right on. You heard it here, ladies and gentlemen. Check that out. And and then with that, uh just want to pick up, Jeff, I, I wouldn't do it justice if I didn't, you know, I had the pleasure of uh, sharing a virtual stage in Brazil with uh, one of your buddies, Mr. James Copeland, who wrote this book, The Patterns Book. And uh, we didn't speak on the same day. And uh, he doesn't know who I am, but it's totally cool. I loved his talk. And I've been reading this book and you can see I've made a little dent in the book, I'm about 30% in with the, the seven other books that I'm simultaneously reading, one at a time, though. This, wait a this minute, book, wait a minute, Felipe, you're simultaneously reading <laughs> one at a time? I don't get that. You got to back that up. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to back that up in another uh, another episode, Dee. But, uh, <laughs> Jeff, the work that you guys did, I mean, this book is heavy. This is like, I don't have a ruler on me, but you can see it's it's inches thick. And it's called a scrum book, The Spirit of the Game. It's available 
it's widely available widely available you guys have made it so easily accessible to so many people i want to say so much about it jeff but i want to let you please uh tell people what is this book about where did it where did it come why did it come to be and how long did it take to get this book out here well, when we started that book, Jim said it's going to take 10 years to write this book because that's what it took for the last one, Agile Organizational Patterns. And uh, Scrum is a patterns-based implementation. One of the early papers on Scrum uh, goes through, okay, Scrum is put together with a set of patterns. Here's how it works. And patterns uh, in this context are part of the Scrum Patterns movement, which has been around for over 30 years and has a copyrighted workshop methodology for coming up with the kind of patterns that a very famous architect uh, talked about in his books about architecture, building. So you could say that this all comes from construction. And Christopher Alexander noticed that certain buildings were different from other buildings. Some of them were more beautiful. Some of them were more spacious, more open. Some of them you walked into it, it made you feel more whole as a, as a person because the building felt more whole, more natural. He called it this quality without a name, something that was hard to put your finger on, but he did cross-cultural research all across the world and he found more than 80% of the people in every culture would agree that this building had the quality without a name, and that building did not. <laughs> so then he went through, okay, what are the patterns of construction that create this quality without a name? Now, Jim Copeland was one of the key people that brought those ideas in this software development, building software systems. And uh, over 10 years ago, he, he came to me and he said, Jeff, we should we should do this for Scrum and build a set of patterns around Scrum because one of the challenges, is, you know, the Scrum guide is like the rules of the game, but playing the game, that's a whole different thing. And we, we don't want to be prescriptive, but we want to show patterns of play that have been successful for many different companies uh, that have been proven by sometimes massive amounts of data. Uh, so that people can pick them up. They have this problem. They can say, hey, this this strategy has worked, you know, at Apple, Microsoft, and Amazon. Maybe if we try it, it might work. <laughs> so so they have <laughs> some, some starting point to really leverage them. Now, I mainly focused on uh, particularly the patterns that increase team performance. And one of the first patterns that was approved. Some of these patterns took five years of negotiation to get them in the book. Swarming is one of them, which you've heard about. Yeah, which so five years, it took five years. But one pattern only took one hour. And that was teams that finish early accelerate faster. And it was based on data on thousands of sprints from our venture capital group where the investors had pulled the data together and done the analysis, <clears throat> uh, just like the author of Good to Great did an analysis. What, what is the difference between great companies and just good companies, right? <laughs> what is the difference between great scrum teams and just okay scrum teams? 
And just as in Good to Great, they found there was only one main difference. And the great teams whose velocity was escalating exponentially were finishing the sprint, everything brought into the sprint before the end of the sprint. So this was the key that unlocked all the other performance patterns because we could then say, okay, this is the baseline pattern finishing early. What prevents you from finishing early? And then we can go systematically through the things that stop you finishing early and then create a pattern for each one of those. And then if you package them all up, you're guaranteed to get twice the work in half the time. You're, it's certain to win volume two, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I remember, you know, Jeff, when uh, I did the Scrum Master training with you in 2016, you told us all, you said, if you don't double your team's velocity, I'll give you your money back. <laughs> you didn't ask for your money back, did you, Felipe? No, I mean, I, I want more than triple. Give me give me the address. I'll write the check, Jeff. I owe you. <laughs> you, you, you delivered much higher than uh, what you said you would. The head of the venture group says, if you can't do three times the work in a third of the time, you're really not yeah. doing it right, right? I mean, so, so twice the work in half the time is actually a lot easier. It's not that hard. Yeah. Just a quick shout out uh, to my team. My team is Curiosity over at Scrum Inc. Curiosity has taken it upon themselves to go through every single one of those patterns and identify patterns that would be specific to design and construction. Because my argument is, would patterns wouldn't be, right? So obviously there are some patterns that are specific to IT and to software, but Curiosity, shout out to them. They're going through all of those patterns and identifying the patterns that we need to get in front of the construction industry. You know, while we're talking about construction, I mean, in the, in the Scrum book, we talk about some construction projects, smaller ones, but uh, yeah. the, the ones that have worked really well uh, the person responsible for the project has had a scrub meeting every day. And he's pulled mm -hmm. all the contractors in and said, and he's got the backlog. And the backlog is, let's get this room done today. The plumbing, the electrical, the paint, <laughs> whatever the else. Our goal today is get this room done. <laughs> and that kind of strategy guarantees that you come in on time and on budget. And we have an example in that book where a team came in and did that. And then the same construction team went down the street where they didn't have a daily meeting and they were double the budget and double the time. <laughs> I love those. It's almost like a case control study in medicine, which I used to run. You know, you, you take the same team, same project, you turn on the daily meeting and then you turn the switch off and you look at the result. <laughs> I was really excited to see that daily scrum in action um, with that senior superintendent. Jeff, it was really, I mean, it was, I, I was like a kid in a candy store, as Felipe is wont to say, watching him get the subcontractors together, his project engineers together, walk the board. Okay, what are we going to do today? What's stopping us from doing it? What are we going to do tomorrow? I mean, it was just the, the simplicity of adding a daily planning session at the beginning of every day and the difference that makes, right? Yeah, and it was great too. We were in the owners' meeting, Jeff, where they were giving an update to people, some people that were remote, including a couple architects. And the owners' representatives was was sitting at the table across from us, and the visual pull planning boards were behind them with you know a wall of sticky notes. Yeah. 
and somebody asked a question about schedule and I saw the eyes shift to the right. He looked right at the board. He instantaneously answered the question. The information radiated and people moved on. They didn't bog down. They didn't have to look at a Gantt chart. <laughs> they didn't have to like, you know, make a phone call. It was instantaneous, got the answer and moved on to the next item. It was it is some of my favorite way to see people working today. You mean nobody had to schedule a meeting to go get information from other people? And D, you can, you know, you know, make sure that I'm telling the truth. I don't think any meetings resulted from that meeting. No, and that was the beautiful thing. Yeah, that was the beautiful thing. Everybody got the information that they needed to go bring back to their other teams to continue putting work in place. It was fabulous. It was. And, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, Jeff, you know, come to me that are thinking about doing scrum and, you know, some people learn differently. And we talked about this when we were going through the, the train, the trainer, uh, vetting process, shout out to scrum, uh, a scrum Academy. My God, the work that they do is they need to get more praise. Thank you. Scrum Academy for what you do. I, I always tell people like the way I started Jeff, was I read the red book and finally got to the appendix. And I was like, oh, here's the how-to guide. It's on the two pages in the, I was like, thank you. I was, I was starting to get worried. Like I was halfway through the book and I was like, at some point he's going to tell me how to do this. And <laughs> you did it in the appendix and it worked. But uh, other people can't uh, or don't like to learn from a book and they want hands-on instruction. What are some of the things that uh, you guys have been involved with to help people that need that hands-on uh, instruction or opportunities. Well, and in COVID, we are doing multiple two-day courses every week for Scrum Masters, product owners, Scrum at scale. And uh, it turns out that uh, remote courses actually have some advantages over in-person courses. I think, you know, each have some advantages over the other, but the remote course, I think there's a lot more focus. You can actually communicate information more clearly and quickly to the people. Uh, so people who need uh, more, and there's a lot of hands-on exercises with small teams. So people get to work in small teams, even over Zoom. Uh, so people that need hands-on uh, training, they should sign up. And uh, Scrum Inc. has got, in the ratings, Scrum Inc. has got the ratings for the best uh, uh, interaction in, in scrum training in the world uh, because mm -hmm. of the way we've set it up. Again, a shout out to Noah and the amazing work that Noah has done. She's awesome. She's awesome. Yeah. But other ways, Felipe, that we're, we're able to do hands-on is we're actually going into, I mean, prior to COVID, we, we were physically going into these organizations, uh, you know, this global manufacturing organization that I'm working with. Um, now, because of COVID, we've been forced to use different technology. I was just recently working with a Greek company that's building um, uh, fighter pilot engines. And so we're hands-on with that company, helping them build something, right? And then again, hey, the, how, about, how about a shout out to the, the, the Scrum Master class you and I do, Felipe, where we're bringing, in, we're bringing in folks into a classroom setting, whether it be virtual or real, and we're not only providing them the theory of the Scrum framework, we are speaking specifically into their industry on the practicality of the practical use of the theory that we're providing them. So we've, there's plenty of hands-on opportunities out there for folks who are looking for it. And the great thing about the remote training now is that we get people from all over the world. So uh, there's a training going on tomorrow and the next day. And in every training, we have people 
all over the United States, California to Boston, Asia, Europe, sometimes even into Russia. Uh, and so any training we do is going to have a global perspective. You're going to get input from others all over the, all over the planet. Uh, it makes it a lot more uh, both interesting and also insightful. Multiple ways to learn. And super appreciate you guys uh, coming on the show and sharing your thoughts, ideas, and observations and taking us through. I've got just uh, two books here that I promise I would just at least say the titles. Uh, one is by the man, the myth, the legend, Dr. Cotter, <laughs> you know, and, and his book called uh, Accelerate. Is he Dr. Cotter? I feel like he should be a PhD. I'm, I'm just going to say that, that he's like a doctor in my mind. But uh, John P. Cotter, who wrote uh, his recent book, Accelerate, that Jeff talks about and is shared in some of the courses and you recommended to me, if you're working in an organization, you know, Jeff, why do you recommend this book, Accelerate, to people? First of all, John Cotter is the leading change expert out of Harvard University. And that book makes two fundamental points. Number one, Agile is a different operating system. It's like the Mac and... Traditional project planning is like waterfall. And so when you are over operating on the Mac, you do different things. If you try to do, if you try to do the Windows thing on the Mac, they don't work. Even more important, he says, the agile operating system needs to be run by agile leadership. If you have Windows trying to run the Mac, it's slow, it looks funny, and often it just doesn't work. And he said, as, as a matter of fact, he has never seen a sustainable agile transformation with traditional management running it. So this is a really important thing to understand for leadership. You've got to get trained agile managers running the agile operating system to be successful. You know, as I said, last last year was nice to be agile. This year, if you want to stay in business, you're going to have to change. And so really, you know, for the agile companies, the agile companies that are growing, they're making, being so successful, having the best year in history, the more we can open up jobs uh, for people who are unemployed by these companies that are being shut down by the thousands, uh, the more service we can be you know, to the people in general. And right now at Scrum Inc., we're hiring. We're, we're hiring faster today than ever in the history of the company. One of the things I heard this week is that Daimler in Germany is paying people to quit. As an engineer, you get paid $250,000 to quit. Wow. Tesla in Berlin is hiring the best of them. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's happening, folks. Agile companies are hiring. And non-agile companies are letting people go. That brings me to the last book, Jeff. Uh, you've, you recommended Business Dynamics by John Stearman. Systems Thinking and Modeling for a Complex World. There's the cover of the book. And, and I like it right in the title. Everyone forgets that we're all sharing the same system, planet Earth. We're in a, an open, no, you know, convertible spaceship hurtling around the sun in space all together and that systems are fractal and you saw it when you were studying uh, cancer cells and you see it in organizations. What parallels 
have you seen from your medical studies that you still see happening with teams today, Jeff? Well, one of the challenges in medicine, uh, I mean, you always go back. There's two things in medicine that were watershed. One is like wash your hands before surgery. And the other one is vitamin C to stop scurvy. And let me just tell you about one of them. Okay, the Brits found out that if they gave sailors fruit, they didn't get scurvy. And half the ship would die of scurvy when there's certain... So they found this out. How long do you think it took them to start putting limes on the ships? 100 years. And they only started putting limes on all the ships when the chief surgeon of the Navy said, it's mandatory to have limes on your ships. 100 years later after they made the discovery. And that's what we got going on in medicine today. We have things available in medicine that are known, that are researched, that work, that won't be available to you as the average patient for 100 years. And if you want to read about it, go to the Harvard Business Review and read a paper by Christensen, the guy that wrote uh, Diffusion of Innovation. Right? Just remember this thought. Medicine that you will not see a hundred, for 100 years is available. It's here today. It's provable. There are studies, there are clinical studies that show it works. But unless you go after it and find it yourself, you will never find it. That's a good uh, a good topic to, to close us down on, Jeff, on that serious note of responsibility. Everyone listening, the choice is yours for how you want to live and engage in the world today. I want to give a big, gigantic thank yous again to Noah for enabling Jeff to be here today with Dee. Thank you so much for that, Noah. We can't say enough good things about you. We can't. You just can't. And the whole scrumming team, Jeff, your entire organization, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. I know we're going to keep talking forever. That's not going to change. So thank you, Jeff. I want to give you both the last words and before I say goodbye to you. And I would just circle us back to, to uh, Felipe, which you had us talking about at the very beginning of this uh, re uh, recording, and that is the Scrum values. I mean, it all comes down to the Scrum values and, and the push to put the Scrum values at the forefront of what's happening in this particular industry uh, is going to do amazing things, not only for quality, production, profit, but human life. Well, I want to say I was talking to the CEO of a big construction company recently, and he realized that his teams were too big. And if he cut teams from 10 people to seven people, he could get as much as more done and his margins would increase by 30%. And he went out of that meeting and said, I'm gonna revolutionize the construction industry. So watch out people, he is coming <laughs> after you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get that name from you after the, the show's over, Jeff. <laughs> this was awesome. Jeff, i got to tell JJ that you knocked it out the park. Thank you both so much. Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build.